Let's all stand. We're going to read in the book of Acts chapter 4. The context of the passage is Peter and John were arrested. Peter preaches his sermon there to the council. Peter and John now have to answer for themselves in the miracle that had been accomplished. And then we come to Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. It says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but that they had all things common, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, from the reading of your word, now we kneel in our hearts for a plead and a power of your Holy Spirit. You said if we being evil and know how to give good gifts unto our children, how much more would our Heavenly Father give unto us the Holy Ghost if only we asked? Lord, I need your help. And when this is all over and... I leave to go to my next assignment. It's not my name they need to remember. It's not necessarily even a story that I may tell. But you said I. And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Lord, if, if you were talking about my son, I'd do everything I could to help you. But I'm not going to talk about my son. I'm going to talk about yours. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk about the church. And I need your help. So please fill me and every one of us here with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this church, the pastor, the staff at the school. And Lord, we don't know when you're coming back. But when you do... May what we heard today cause us to be ready. And I never presume, Father, that every person seated here and now standing knows you as their personal Savior. What a tragedy to to come and maybe to sit in a class or to sit even in a sermon today and leave without knowing Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that whatever it takes, you will move and accomplish your perfect work. And I promise to give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray and we ask it. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Charles Schultz in a Peanuts cartoon often taught us some simple lessons about life. And believe it or not, he was a spiritual man. The characters in the Peanuts cartoon often portray us in one way or the other. There's Lucy, of course, Linus, Charlie Brown, all of the different ones. But 
One day, Lucy demanded that Linus change TV channels and threatened him with her fist if he didn't. Linus asked her and said, what makes you think that you can walk right in this room and take over like you did? She looked at him and held up five fingers and she said, these five fingers. Now, individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them up like this, it's a weapon that's terrible to behold. He says, which channel would you like to watch? And then as he walked towards the television, he looks at his fingers and he said, why can't you guys get organized like that? (laughs) You know, we talk a lot about union. We even talk a lot about unification and unity. If there's ever been a day that the United States of America has seemed to be unraveling, we're living in that day. Now, I'm glad to say that I love this country. I'm glad to say that I am thankful to be part of a country that uh, is still known, as the lady saying just a moment, the United States of America. But you can have no union without unity. You can tie the tail of a cat and a dog together and you have union. But I want to tell you, you don't have unity. I will be speaking in in a session afterwards. And I'm going to say what I'm going to teach with them. In life and ministry, you will soon discover there are peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. But I've been in ministry long enough, I can tell you, they're not only peacemakers, but they are peace breakers. And by the way, if you're writing it down, let me just remind you, they're not only peacemakers and peace breakers, but seated among us today are also peace fakers. Can I get a witness? That's life. That's the way it is. When we think about that thought, D.O. Moody once said, there are two ways of being unified or united. He said, one is being frozen together and the other is being melted together. And I'm convinced what New Testament Bible-believing Christians need is to be united and melted together in brotherly love. And then, only then, can we expect to have the power that D.O. Moody and the church in the book of Acts enjoyed. America was birthed with the United States of America. I still remember as a little boy standing in a first grade class. Now, when I was a child, I didn't have to go to kindergarten. We were smarter than everybody else back then. We didn't need K-4 and K-5. But I can still remember with fear and trembling taking my hand and putting it on my heart and looking at that flag and say, I pledge allegiance to the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You see, I love this country. I know that there are many celebrities and athletes that now refuse to stand with their hands over their heart or 
when the national anthem plays, I think we will admit that America is not as united as we once were. I'm not saying everything's right about America, whether you're in Chancellorsville or Detroit or Portland or Lancaster. There's an argument today on who is most important. There are some that say black lives matter. Some say white lives matter. And I want you to know at the foot of the cross, all lives matter. But as we, as we think about the church united, I think about the nation that's the United States of America. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And Mark chapter 3 says in verse 24, if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. I'm convinced what's true about America is also true about our homes. The homes are unraveling. The fact is today our homes and marriages and families are fractured. They're not, they're not united. But if I might take a step a little bit closer towards you this, this morning, churches are not united. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that we can be. And it not only tells us we can be, but we must be if we're going to be united in the effort and that God left us here to reach a lost world with the gospel. In Acts chapter 4, we, it says in verse 32, And the multitudes of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. You see, I'm, I'm in the place that D.L. Moody was when he heard... Uh, Henry Varley say, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. As I studied and prepared, I thought to myself, uh, it really is yet to be seen what could happen if the church would, would actually unite with one heart and one soul for one purpose And that's lifting up Jesus Christ and watching him work through us to reach a world. Jesus asked Peter, he says, who do men say that I am? He said, some say you're Elijah, others say maybe Jeremiah or one of the prophets, maybe John the Baptist. And then he asked the piercing question, but who do you say that I am? He said, thou art the Christ. The son of the living God. And Jesus said, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm convinced this morning we can be that church. I'm convinced this morning that we must be that church. I'm convinced this morning that God has given us a way that we can be the church united. Some of you will leave here, as I did 35 years ago, to go to different cities or different places to plan a New Testament, independent, fundamental Baptist church. But as you go, I wonder, do you understand how important it is for the man next to you that desires to do the same? We need one another. Oh, if we could only understand 
that we're stronger when we're working together as men and women of God. I know there are many fractures and factions and temperaments and all of the differences and preferences. But when it comes down to reaching the world for Christ, this is the message. We must remember that. Now, if we're going to get this message out for just a little while, whether you are sitting on this side or that side or you're in this fraternity or that one, what's going to happen at the Jamboree is going to happen. But when it's all said and done, I want to give you some things that I think that will help us to be the church united. Now, I don't claim to be a man of profundity. But what I'd like to do is to give to you some things that I've learned in 35 years that just may help us today. To be a church united. To be a college united. To be a student body that are united. Maybe today we can, we can say we could do that, but maybe even as a husband and wife, we couldn't even ride to church in the same car without fussing. How can we be a church united? Let me say number one. We must be united in prayer to God. I believe that our greatest sin, mark it down, is prayerlessness. I told some young men last night, my wife and I was headed to a meeting. Uh, Brother Rasmussen, you've been to Frank Umber's meeting in Somerville. We were taking that five-hour ride from Portland, and Regina turned to me. She says, babe, what do you think in 34 years is the greatest lesson you've ever learned? Now, when your wife asks you that question, it makes me, I stuttered a little bit and wanted to make sure, I didn't want to get the wrong answer. (laughs) But it didn't take me long to figure it out. And I'm going to tell you what I believe the greatest lesson I've ever learned. Are you ready? This is profound. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Now you say, what do you mean, preacher? God answers prayer. Why are you saying that? Because we don't do it. We have all of our plans. We do all that we want to do. If we could just come back to the place that we realize God really answers prayer. He said, call unto me and I will answer thee. No one of the disciples said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Jesus said we ought always to pray and not faint. And when we pray, we're to come boldly to the throne of grace. And when we pray, we're to do it without ceasing. The fact is, we can do more than pray, but we can do nothing until we do pray. And somewhere in our life, we've got to understand where Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name. I'm going to be with you. If we could just understand the value of prayer instead of it just being something we tack on before we eat or before we pillow our head at night. If we could just become united together and pray for our country, for our family, for those ones that are lost. If if we only knew that our help is just a prayer away. 
If our churches, if our, if the people of God would understand, that's what God says. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Listen this morning. That's what they did. It says in verse 31, they lifted up their voice to God in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Ian Bounds says what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men and women mighty in prayer, that come boldly to the throne of God. Luther said, let us pray as if everything depends on us, on God, and work as if everything depends upon us. If we really believe that God answers prayer, we would pray. Now, I always prayed right before I took an exam in college. It was that wonderful prayer. Lord, show me great and mighty things which I know not. (laughs) But there's something when it's your daughter or it's your son. When the doctor says, we've done all you can do. There's nothing else we can do. If she'll make it to morning, there may be hope. Portland Adventist Hospital. 34 years ago, we were opening our missions conference. Dr. Don Sis was preaching for me. Sunday afternoon, it got worse for my daughter. I told Dr. Sis, as soon as we were through, my wife was at the hospital. There was nobody else to be at the church but me. I said, I've got to leave. Please pray. The doctors told us, told us we don't know what's wrong. We think it may be cystic fibrosis, but we just don't know. I can take you to a room there. It's called Portland Adventist Hospital, room 3404. I remember we went in that room, in the corner of that room. On one side of the room was a little stainless steel crib with plastic over it that draped for an oxygen tent, and her little body was laying inside of that. The machines were running, keeping the air circulating. But there was a young preacher and a mother kneeling at the bed in the corner praying. I don't know how long we prayed. I don't know how long, many hours or minutes. I just know we prayed. And I can tell you That during that time, I'm not saying there was great light or thunder or a roll of peace, but I just know the sun came up that morning and she was still alive. And the doctor came in and examined her and said, you know what? She's doing better. And day by day, she began to improve. Today, that young woman is married. 
she graduated from law school as an attorney and has defended the sweet cakes couples and has a little boy of her own named Coleman and serving God in the testimony that God answers prayer. Now, I'm not telling you all that to brag on one of my children, but I'll tell you what happens every time I go to Portland Adventist Hospital. Every time I go, I go up to the third floor and I walk by 3404. I go in that room and as I walk in that room, the nurse's station is still the same place. I walk in there and I remember the corner where I prayed. It's holy ground to me. I've gone in there many times in the last 32 years and talked to the patients in there. I said, you don't know me. I'm not, I don't know you. But I want to tell you, God met me here one night. And I tell them the story. I've led people to Christ in that room. I've had people in my church that went to the hospital and they showed up. They were in room 3404. Somewhere in your life, you're going to find some holy ground where God answers prayer. Unless we learn it now and become united in this effort. We'll never be a united church. Let us unite, first of all, in prayer to God. Secondly, let us unite and be unified in the power of the Holy Spirit. When they prayed, the place where they were shaken were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, that makes Baptists nervous, but it shouldn't. You know, we have given the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost to the charismatic movements, the sensationalists. When in reality, it doesn't belong to them. It belongs to Bible-believing Christians. We ought to pray. He said, if, if, if we being evil know how to give good gifts unto our children, how much more should our Heavenly Father give unto us the Holy Ghost? If only we would ask Him. We have not because we ask not. He will fill us and give us his power. And and Acts tells us, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And if we'll walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what we've learned to do? We've learned to do the work of God without the help of God. We can have our services. We can project our message. We can sing our songs. We can do all we need to do. By the dimming of lights and turning up the sound, we can run church. We don't even need God to show up. It's good if he even gets honorable mention in a prayer or the bulletin. But if we would become unified in this effort, not only in prayer, but God, I need your power. We need your power. I think you've heard the story in New Year's Day, the Tournament of Roses parade was going and suddenly there was a stall in the parade and then it came to a complete stop and what had happened was a float had had sputtered and stopped and the whole parade was held up until somebody could find out what was wrong with this float. Well, come to find out... Um, It was a vehicle that had run out of gas. 
In the Rose Tournament of Roses parade, the whole world is watching. It had run out of gas. But the embarrassing thing was the float was sponsored by Standard Oil. (laughs) With the limitless supply, they had run out of gas. It's happening to us. We have the unlimited reservoir of a God that says, you have not because you ask not. I heard about the preacher that had a habit. He didn't go to the pulpit when the service started. He, he would always pray and ask God to help him. And oftentimes he would come in as the choir was singing right before the offering and the message. But the choir leader was getting nervous. They had already finished and the deacons were nervous because the preacher hadn't showed up. They sent a young boy downstairs to his office to find out what's wrong and see, get him on up here. We got to get going. When the boy got down to the office, he saw the door was shut, but a lie was on underneath and he could hear this conversation. I'm not going if you're not going. I'm not going if you're not going. I'm not going if you're not going. The boy came back upstairs and said, he'll be up here in a minute and that other one's coming with him. (laughs) What would happen if we said, God, I can't preach if you're not going to help me. I can't teach. I can't run that bus route. I can't do it. I'm not going if you're not going. We must be unified, not only in the, in the prayer of God, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, in the preaching of his word. In Acts chapter 4, it says, And when they prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they went out and they spake the word of God with boldness. The preaching of God's word must be imminent and preeminent in all that we do and all that we say. Psalms tells us, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. In the Old Testament, I remember the people, the king sent the people to Jeremiah and said, go, to, go find the man. Go ask him in the time of famine, in the time of desperation. Go talk to the man of God. Is there any word from the Lord? Jeremiah responded, said, yes, yes, there is word from the Lord. And he shared the word of God, the man of God, and the people of God were encouraged. Every Sunday, every time the church doors open, the people are coming to hear, is there any word from the Lord? Is there any hope today with the fires and an earthquake and a hurricane and and floods? Is there any word from the Lord? And as we come to the house of God, as we come together as men and women of God, as we go to our place of ministry, whether on a mission field or, or in a local church or serving in a Christian school, people are looking and asking, is there any word from the Lord? Let us, with a resonant voice, say, yes, there is the word of God. I've met with him. I've just heard from heaven. And this one thing I know, 
My sins are all forgiven. And he'll wash us as white as snow. There is a word from God. Preach the word, Timothy. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering. Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction. Preach the word. The word of God is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine tells us what's right. It's profitable for reproof. It tells us what's not right. It's profitable for correction. It tells us how to get right. And it's profitable for instruction. It tells us how to live right. We must be unified in this matter of not only prayer and power, but in preaching the word of God. We must be unified in purity. Verse 32, and the multitude of them that believe were of one heart and one soul. They were pure. They were committed as a husband and wife to each other. They were committed to God together with one heart and one soul. Romans 12 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. May I remind you that the will of God isn't good, better, best. Some people look at it being as good or acceptable or perfect. No, the word of, the word of God teaches us. That when it comes to the will of God, it's good and it's acceptable and it's perfect. It's all of the above and you wrap it all up together. It's pure. The truth is, there was a survey of Christians and non-Christians that was done just a few years ago. And the astonishing results were sobering. As I read it, they surveyed Christians and non-Christians. The results were that when they checked to see who cheated on their taxes the most, they were equal. When they examined to see who was it that would fail to keep their promises and their word, Christians or non-Christians, there was no difference. Matter of fact, when it got a little below the surface and said, who is it that really spends more time on the internet with pornography? There was no difference between Christians and non-Christians. Something's wrong. Careful, we, we need to be careful about pointing fingers at who it might be. The fact is, we've all sinned. There's none of us perfect. And I, I want to tell you that he that thinketh that he will not sin, First John warned us, we're setting ourselves up to fall. 
But you know, we ought to stand before God, each of us, in unity to say, Lord, like the old Negro spiritual song, they would say, it's me. It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my brother. It's not my sister. It's me. It's me, God. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Somebody said if we could get thoroughly right with God, it's amazing what God would do with us. Let us be unified in our prayer, in our power, in our preaching, in our purity. Second Timothy says, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. Remember this, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In the great house are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. And if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use. A couple pastors were walking in a store when one pointed to a suit of clothes hanging on a rack that had a sign that said, slightly soiled, greatly reduced in price. He said to the other, he says, I think that's our problem. He says, what are you talking about? He said, we get soiled by gazing at a vulgar picture or reading or indulging ourselves in lustful thoughts. Nobody knows. Nobody knows where we're spending our late hours. and The next time we press that send button, where we're going to go. But when we do, When we do, our purity, our strength is gone. It's only a slight deviation from that which is right. And it's going to happen. I was innocently looking for a card yesterday for my wife. I was getting ready to leave and knew I would be gone. I just left her a card. And in a place where there should have been no temptation at all, Right next to that, there was a magazine rack. And right next to the magazine rack were some pictures that caught my eye. And suddenly, for just a moment, it caught my eye. It wasn't that look that was sinful. I couldn't help that. It was the second look that I said, I'm not taking. We have to make those decisions. They call them pop-up on computers. You're as innocent as you could ever imagine. Then suddenly it pops up. And all it takes is one deviation there. And suddenly, with a glimpse, it's tattooed on your brain. And you're going to step out and tell people about purity and Jesus and the love of God. I challenge each of us to realize that we have to live and operate as Christians Under a different law than anyone else. It's called the law of the unenforceable. 
Have you ever heard of that? Let me give it to you. It's very simple. The law of the unenforceable. The law of the unenforceable says, I will do right when nobody but God and I know. I will do right when nobody else knows but God and me. Our purity. When Samson went out to fight, it says he wist not that the Spirit of God had departed from him. It's those slight deviations in our life that we fail to confess. We cover them. We're not going to prosper when we do. We need a church. We need preachers and men and women of God that when we sin, we don't cover our sin, but we confess them and we forsake them. It's not saying that we have to live pure lives because it's impossible. But if we'll confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says in in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 10, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. You know what he's saying? Don't do it. Don't do it. And first John chapter 2, it says, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. What's he saying to his children? Don't do it. But you did it. So what do you do? My little children, these things write in you that you sin not. But if any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is a propitiation for our sin. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Daily we must wash and we must come before the word of God and the presence of God and in his blood make that right. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. He can make us as white as snow, but it's only when we come. My son was sitting at the table. He was just probably about six. It's time for supper. And I, as a parent... Asked that probing question as he's sitting at the end of the table. I said, Ryan, did you wash your hands? He looked at me and said, with soap? I said, yes, with soap. No, sir. (laughs) Go wash up. Who shall stand before the Lord? He that hath what? Clean hands. That doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you don't need to wash up. But oh, as we come, if we're going to be a church united, let us be united in prayer and power and preaching and purity and our passion towards one another. It says, and when the multitude of them had believed, they were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, 
But they had all things common, and great grace was among them all. You see, Jesus in John chapter 13 taught us what it was like to love each other, to serve each other. But he made a statement. Perhaps you remember in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, a new commandment, a new commandment, I've given unto you that you love one another. What's new about that? That's not a new commandment. We know we're supposed to love one another. That's in the law. Thou shalt love the Lord God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's not a new command. What's new about that? He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That brought it to a whole new level. I'm washing feet of a man that's going to betray me. Men that will deny me and curse me. When I'm hanging on the cross, there'll be no one there. The ones that I feed won't be in the crowd silent. Lazarus, I raised him there. He won't be there. But I'm going to love him. And the scripture says, and he loved them to the end. We're to love one another. One of the things the people kept saying about Jesus when, wherever he went, they said, behold, how he loved them. The only way that we can understand that love is to see how he has loved us. That'll help you to love the church member that hurts you and your family. That... That'll help you to love those that take direct aim at you and they don't do it accidentally. Jesus loved the very ones that nailed him to the cross. And as he was being pierced with their nails, every blow to that nail, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You're going to be wounded. You're going to be bruised. You're going to be spit upon and maligned and cheated. And it's not going to be by an enemy. Jesus said, I was wounded in the house of my friends. You've got to take. And if there's ever been a time that the world is watching, it's watching now. How do we treat each other? Somewhere we're going to have to learn, I can't make them love me, but they can't keep me from loving them. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said, don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor or not. Just pray and act like you do. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets When you start behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. And if you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him good in turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. There's something about where men's treasures, where his heart is. Where you deposit and invest your life into others, you'll love them. That's why we're to love your enemies. And bless them that curse you. 
as a church. That's how we're to reach the world. We're to reach them by showing them that we genuinely care about them. You know, sometimes I've heard preachers preach. I wonder if they're glad some people are going to hell. I've heard preachers preach. They describe hell and say, you're going to fry in hell like sausage. They were almost happy about it. I still believe they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. I challenge you to love sinners and to love and care about those that Jesus loves. We must be unified in our purity and our passion. But finally, as we think about this, our soul winning, our personal soul winning. We must be like a mighty army. Christians have this vague and tenuous hope today that God is too kind to punish the ungodly and has become as a deadly opiate to the conscience of the church. No, there's a hell. Until we believe it, there's a hell. I challenge you as we close, we're to be unified not only in our personal soul winning, but in taking the gospel to those that are still waiting. The gospel is the good what? It's only good news if it gets there on time. We're in the middle of our missions emphasis month. And I remember where Isaiah... In the year that King Uzziah died, he... Uh, the society was in sh- full of problems. He says, in the year that U- King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And then he said, woe is me. And that is a message all in itself. There's some problems in society and personal sin. But he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw a glimpse of the Savior. And then he heard the voice of the Lord speaking in the Trinity saying, Whom shall we send? Who will go for us? Do you remember the answer from Isaiah? What did he say? Here am I. Send me. That's the sound that God's looking for. But a few verses later, we find something that almost makes me laugh because I've asked the same question. He volunteered, maybe like you did last chapel speaker or the next one to come. And who will go and in chapel, I, volunt- I surrendered to everything. And that's really where God wants you to go is you're willing to do whatever he wants you to do. But he said, here my Lord send me. But down just a few verses later in verse 11, he asked a question. How long? How long am I supposed to do this? How long are we supposed to tell people about Jesus? How long are we supposed to go to mission fields? This is our our 35th year in a missions conference. How long? 
And the Lord answered and said, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and until the land be utterly desolate. And I challenged our people when they asked me, how long, how long are we going to keep doing this? How long are we going to keep having mission conferences and knocking on doors and sending missionaries around the world? How long? Until the whole world knows. Until the whole world knows. Or until he comes back. And as a speaker in chapel today, I challenge you. In personal soul winning and in personal perseverance, let us determine to be the church united.